Welcome to the Jada Edwards Podcast, where I get to take a few moments to share with you what God is sharing with me. Hey, everybody. Part two. All right. We are talking about how to change your mind, how to truly, practically, really change your mind. And what we talked about in our last episode was some of the issues that I think believers face as we approach scripture, thinking about anxiety and fear and doubt and all these things that we deal with all of the time. Uh, Even sin patterns in our in our thinking, patterns of sin in our thinking, um, pride and greed and lust and all the things. But today I really want to focus again on the anxiety issue and fear, doubt, all those things. But we were talking about some of the issues that really face us, um, that make it hard for us to allow scripture to penetrate our hearts the way it should. Number one, we approach it as a fix to behavior. We're trying to just look for a checklist of things to do better and do differently and then suddenly we're going to be different. And that's not what it was intended to do. Hebrews 4 tells us that the scripture does everything internal, that it divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a a two-edged sword. It's sharp. It's piercing. It's meant to go beneath the surface into the deep things of who we are so that truth can be planted in our innermost being and then change us uh, from the inside out. So we approach scripture as a fix to behavior, but also we tend to approach scripture as a band-aid and we misdiagnose the things we're wrestling with. We think that the fear or anxiety or doubt or anger or pride, we think those things are scratches. And so because we think they're just scratches, we just put a little band-aid of scripture on it and hope that it goes away. But it's not. Those things are deep um, wounds and areas of sin and struggle in our hearts, in our soul, which is why Jesus's response to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, when they asked him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to trip him up, um, thinking that he would give them the greatest thing to do, like some action that they could measure externally because that's how they lived and that's how they measured their spirituality. He told them, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, inside, 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 not with your actions and your attendance and your membership and your service or even your knowledge and your words, but with your heart, your soul, and your mind. And so everything about scripture tells us that we change from the inside out. The work must be internal. And so that's really where I think we have to find some resolution on that because I think we know it in our minds, but what we live out practically is that scripture is a band-aid. You know, I'm going to my concordance for joy or worry, trying to find a scripture that's going to fix it and put it on the sticky note and, you know, put it on my steering wheel and on my mirror and then have all the truth that I'm quoting all day. But we don't want to treat it like that. We want it to be a two-edged sword that we handle carefully because it can penetrate the depths of who we are. Um, It's heart change. That's really what truth is for. So when we talk about what it means to get on this path to really changing your mind, since we know that just merely quoting a scripture or, um, you know, reading a certain encouraging word might not be all that we need, probably not all that we need to truly change from the inside out. Um, We talked about what it means to first acknowledge how you feel, that that is a question that you may be asked, maybe you've been asked before by a counselor or a friend, and and you didn't even have a really good answer to that. It may have just been kind of a ball of bleh, bleh. I don't know how I feel. I'm mad. I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. Like we can sometimes minimize that, not really acknowledge our feelings or put them into some really big buckets. Um, So acknowledging how you feel is the first really important part. Psalm 139, which we referenced before, is the end of this beautiful passage where David invites the Lord to search him. And not so that the Lord can know David, but so that David can know David. 
search me, God. And, and I do that sometimes. How am I feeling right now? And, and that feeling um, is not going to just be one thing for everything in my life. I'm not going to just be annoyed at everything in my life. I might be annoyed with a situation that has arisen, but I feel confident about something else. Or I may feel um, intimidated by something I've been asked to do, and I may feel, you know, anxious about a conversation I need to have. It could be many things depending on what's going on. So acknowledging those feelings can take time. You may not be able to do it in a couple of minutes. It may take time. You may be able to knock out and pinpoint some feelings about some things, and then some other things may take more time. But it's worth it. Do the work. And the second thing is to separate now what is fact from feeling. We talked a little bit about this illustration of it's raining outside and I feel sad. And I may just open the door and see the rain, and suddenly I feel sad. And I'm not even connecting it to the fact that it's raining. I'm not even thinking about that. And and there's been a, a quote that I've seen and heard and read many, many times recently that your facts are not, uh, that your feelings are not facts, okay? Your feelings are not facts. People say that all the time. And it's true. Um, but they are valid just because they may not be the fact of a particular situation. My sadness is not the equivalent of the rain. Like there is a real environmental truth that is now triggering uh, an emotion that I experience. So the sadness might not be equal to the rain. It might not be factual for everyone else. The rain is true for everybody in that area. Um, The sadness may just be me, but it's not less important, right? Just because it's not the fact uh, doesn't mean it's irrelevant to me. So the second thing after I acknowledge how I feel, because sometimes that, that is where we need to start, then I begin to separate that from the facts. Okay, I feel anxious. Oh, I have a big presentation to do at work. Hmm. Okay, so these are two separate things. And the reason why I, I really want to separate those two is because Otherwise, they'll get all blurry. And if I ignore my feelings completely, my facts are not my feelings. I mean, my feelings are not facts, so whatever, they don't matter. I'm hardcore. I can handle it. Just press through. Handle your business. It's fine. Then you just walk out of the house on that rainy day with your umbrella and your raincoat and whatever else you need, and you're like, I'm good. I have what I need to deal with this rain. Well, you do. You've got the equipment, the tools you need to deal with the factual situation in front of you. But if you don't acknowledge your feelings, do you have the tools and equipment to deal with that? Or maybe you're on the opposite side and you live in the feelings. And you're like, I'm not even going outside because it's raining and the rain makes me feel some kind of way. I'm not going. I'm just going to be in my sadness. Okay, well, that that is not healthy either because you don't want that to become defining, right? So investigating the source of those feelings. Number one, acknowledge how I feel. Um, I'm sorry. Number one, acknowledge how I feel. Number two, separate those feelings from the facts. Both can be both can be living. They can both be real things and, and know what is what. Uh, and number three, now I want to investigate the source of those feelings. And this is where I think a lot of us get stuck. So it's raining outside. I'm sad. Okay. Both of these things are true. I can't change the fact that it's raining. So I need to decide why I feel sad about the rain. And I don't want to just stop at acknowledgement. I'm sad. And I don't want to just stop at separation. I'm sad and it's raining, right? I want to begin to weave those things together. I want to understand why I feel sad about the rain. Um, Do I feel sad because I've had to cancel plans? Now there's something I was going to do outside and I can't do it. Or it's altered uh, what I was going to do that day. Do I feel sad because it brings back a memory? Do I feel sad because it... um, 
creates some anxiety in me. I don't want to drive in the rain, you know, so I, I got to take some time to figure out why I feel that way. So let's say there's a relationship and there's always uh, some type of conflict or tension in that relationship. And if that's the case, sometimes uh, a person walks in the room or you go home and just being in their presence creates fear, doubt, anger, some kind of emotional response. So first, before I just lump everything into anger, I need to acknowledge how am I feeling? It's not just angry, okay? I'm disappointed. I've been hurt by this person or betrayed by this person. Or I'm anxious because I need to have a hard conversation with this person. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm acknowledging that and I'm also separating that from the, from the fact. This person is my spouse, is my friend, is my parent, is my sibling. So it's not that um, this person should equal anxiety every time I'm around them. They're two separate things. This is a person that I've had experiences with or I have some ideas about or we have some history and it's triggering this feeling. I need to separate those things because otherwise I will just try to avoid the person and avoid the rain in order to avoid the feeling. And I don't want to tie those two all the time. I want to say this person is my brother and we have a hard history and sometimes it makes me feel anxious or angry or unforgiving, but they don't have to always be inextricably tied. I can have a relationship with my brother separately and he not change because there's a fact that my brother speaks harshly or that my brother doesn't spend money wisely and we have a history, whatever. There's some fact about this person, this relationship that I cannot change, but I can change how I feel about it. But I have to separate the two before I do that, right? So acknowledgement and then separation. Okay, it's because he has these tendencies, it makes me feel this way. Or my mom says these things, it makes me feel this way. I don't have to always say that my mom's going to make me feel inferior or my mom's going to believe. I mean, I don't. I can decide what I want to do with that if I separate the fact of what's happening and how I'm responding to it. And then number three, investigating the source of those things. So... Let's say, back to the rain illustration, uh, I investigate that and I am sad because uh, there is a chance of me getting in a car accident, right? And I don't want to get in a car accident, <laughs> so it makes me sad because I have a really long way to drive and I know I don't do well and it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. It makes me stressful Ugh. and I have to go pick up someone and so then I have to drive with them in the rain. All these things, right? Because the rain triggers the sadness. And it's think, making you think that the rain is not safe or the rain is not fun. I wanted to drive with my top down. Maybe you have a convertible. You probably don't have this kind of hair if you have a convertible. Whatever. Could be all kinds of things. I want to go on a long bike ride today, a long walk. I want to go to see some flowers at a garden. I wanted to go to an outdoor concert. <laughs> it could be all kinds of reasons that are triggering some sadness, right? Um, acknowledging the source of those things is a really big deal. I need to work myself backward to figure out what's triggering this particular feeling. If I have a loved one that's diagnosed with a certain health um, diagnosis and I suddenly feel hopeless, right? It's not because hospitals are equivalent to hopelessness. It's not even because bad diagnoses are equivalent to hopelessness. I feel hopeless because why is that? Well, because there's going to be some, you know, there's a chance that this person might not be the same or this person might not be here on earth much longer or I feel like I can't help or there's going to be a financial burden. There's all of these things that get back to the source. When you get back to the source, you can really start to do some good work on deconstructing whatever the behavior or the emotion is as opposed to saying well, you just need to feel hope. 
there's hope. And I mean, our hope abounds in Christ Jesus. He, he is the God of all hope. This is true. But I want to know, after I've acknowledged that I feel hopeless, after I realize that the hopelessness is separate from the diagnosis, because God might not change the diagnosis, but he can change the hopelessness, right? So I separate those facts from those feelings. Then I'm going back to why do I feel hopeless? Why do I feel like that somehow God is not going to do what's best for me? Do I feel like he's going to create some situation that just puts me in harm's way or he's not going to fix this? Or what am I believing that is making me feel hopeless? Okay. If I believe that because I don't have enough money, we're about to go into a lot of debt over this diagnosis, then I've placed my hope in the money. And when that thing is getting shaky, so does my hope. So I can tell myself, God is the God of all hope. I can do that too, but that only really pierces joint and marrow, soul and spirit when I've dissected that, oh, well, I need to know the God, that God is the God of all hope because I've actually been putting my hope in my money. Well, I'm not going to jump there right away, not if I'm not even acknowledging my feelings or separating the fact from the feelings, right? Then I'm getting to the source of it. Maybe you feel anxious around a particular boss at work or a friend and, and you're like, why? Why do I feel nervous or anxious or unsettled around this person? And so some of y'all are like, it's a spirit, the spirit of dark. Well, okay, maybe sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes there's something deeper. Okay. I'm, I'm anxious. Why? Well, because I don't know if I do a good job with this person. I don't know if I'm doing what they expected or if I'm achieving well and I'm an achiever, right? I know these things. I'm asking God to search me. Yeah, he might lead you to the Enneagram or personality test. Those are just tools, but it's the spirit that shows you yourself. And so I know, Jada, I'm an achiever. I like things to be done great and done well and be successful. And so if I'm in a situation where I don't feel like I'm set up for success or that I can achieve what I want or, or what may be expected, it creates anxiety for me. And then I have to back up again and say, well, wait a minute. How much power am I giving this person where they determine whether or not I'm successful? And so depending on what they say is now fueling anxiety. So I can tell myself, you know, be anxious for nothing. It doesn't matter what they think, but why? Well, let's get back. What's the source of that? If this person doesn't approve, then it's going to make me feel like I'm less than or not worthy. Oh, why is that? Well, because I've made this person more important than what God says about me. Now, I could say, well, do everything you do unto the Lord. Be excellent. I can find all kinds of scripture and truth, right, <laughs> to justify how I want to respond in any given moment. But if I start to investigate the source of my hopelessness or my anxiety or my fear or my pride or my greed and really do the work and don't just stop at say a scripture and try to be better, if I start to really acknowledge how I feel, separate how I feel from what is fact so I can get that. I can't change that fact. I can change how I feel about it. Why do I feel this way? Did I have a parent that told me if you're not successful, you're not worth anything? Do I have friends who make me feel inferior because they're achieving or quote unquote successful at life and I'm not? Why? Why? And, and here's the thing about it. When you do the investigation back to the source, it will ultimately show you that the source of the emotion the source of whatever's going on in your mind is not God because God does not produce hopelessness. God does not produce anxiety. God does not produce fear. So when I start to get back to those things, I'm like, oh, it's because truly I am believing a lie about God and a truth about something or someone else that has now become more important than what I know to be true about God. 
So I've said that this person, what they say about me and my success is more important than how God defines my success. I have said that the diagnosis of this loved one is truly the measure of health, not God who decides who gives and takes away, who decides our birthday, not end date, who, who may just decide that this thorn won't be taken away, but his grace is sufficient. And sometimes his grace is even better than the healing, right? I don't, if I don't get to the heart of that, then I can't do my last step. And the last thing is this, there's actually a split on this. Acknowledge how you feel, uh, separate fact from feeling, investigate the source. That's one, two, and three. Four is a split. Disarm or demote disarm or demote. So once I find my way to the source of my feelings, then I have to either disarm or demote that source. Now, I'm going to go back to the rain illustration to simplify. You cannot just say nothing, you can't have any idols, nothing should be more powerful than this. If you are worried about getting in a car accident on a rainy day, you need to just dismiss that because that's a lie from the pit of hell and blah, blah, blah. If that something is not based in any truth, it's just fear giving you ideas of what could happen or, or planting lies in your mind. Sure. When it's, when it's the serpent saying, is that what God really said? Or he just doesn't want you to know something. Yeah, that stuff, you need to disarm. Meaning I'm taking the power away from that because it is in direct contradiction to what I know to be true about God, right? So sometimes we need to disarm those ideas, those sources. We need to disarm people. And they haven't even tried to be powerful in our lives. We've given them power. Your opinion alters my feelings. Your acceptance alters my response. Your, your denial, your rejection, your betrayal, it changes my emotional response, right? So some of that is I need to disarm because I don't want to give them that kind of power. They're not supposed to have that power. I can't even love my neighbor as myself if my neighbor has to be perfect so that myself can be okay. It just gets all kinds of messed up. So sometimes you need to disarm something. It is just a lie. It's just ungodly. It's just unbiblical. It's just not true. It's conjecture, right? Um, Paul says that we have to take thoughts captive because it's these lofty, foolish opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Disarm. Or sometimes we need to demote. Now that's different from disarming because if I am visualizing myself in a car accident on this rainy day and it's making me sad and it's making me scared and making me afraid and it's just out of the blue just because fear has given me some idea I need to disarm that it should have no power in my life but if I have had a car accident the last time it rained or at some point in my life before in the rain or I was in a car accident in these similar conditions why well, can't just take away the power of that because that's a real experience. That's a fact in my life. But what I need to do now is demote it because maybe instead of just being a fact or something true that I experienced, I've given it power, more power than God's word, more power than God's nature of being a protector and being sovereign and being good. So some things you need to disarm. They, they just have no place in your mind. You have to take those thoughts captive, uproot it. You got to do the work. But there's sometimes where these are real experiences we had. I've been betrayed before. So the next time I meet a friend, a girlfriend, a new friend, or in my marriage, or in a dating relationship, or with somebody that I was training or trusted with my money, I've been betrayed before. So when I start to feel anxiety or fear or doubt or withholding in those relationships, that's not something that's unfounded. That's just something that a factual thing happened to me that I've given too much power to. 
I just need to demote it. It cannot be more true, more powerful than God's word. See, God's word is true for everybody. But that betrayal with that last person that I trusted, that's just true for me. So it's still valid, but it can't be more powerful than God's word, the omniscient, omnipotent, the all-knowing, all-seeing God. So after I start to investigate that source, where in the world is this coming from, God? Because I guarantee you it's going to lead me to something that I've probably made an idol. It's going to lead me to something that is that is temporary, something fleeting, something that will fail. Because the idea of that thing failing, my, my parenting, my job, my career, my marriage, uh, my health, that thing failing is what's leading to whatever, greed and pride and anxiety and all these things. So I got to get back to that source so I can make that thing, you know, call it into reality and say, no, this is, no, no, no. God needs to be the source. Um, but then I need to figure out what I'm going to do with that thing. Do I disarm, take away power completely because it's unfounded? Or do I demote it? I don't deny that it happened to me. I don't ignore that this was a real part of my life experience, but I just don't give it more power than it should have. So as you're thinking about practical ways to change your mind, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I don't need scripture. Let me throw away all my sticky notes. <laughs> Let me throw away my journals. And keep all those things. Keep everything. All the reminders. But don't let that truth be, um, don't, don't use it in a shallow way. Let me say that. Um, I don't, like I said last time, I don't want to invite a surgeon into my house to hand me a box of band-aids. I want to invite a surgeon in my house to do some work. And so God is like, listen, I already know everything about you anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to be surprised. I love you. I can still use you for my glory. I still can create a life for you that, that honors me and gives you joy a little bit here on earth. And so uh, I would encourage you to do the work of acknowledging those feelings, separating them from the fact how you feel from the situation, from the person, from whatever. And then investigating the source of that, not just the feeling, but where is that coming from? What, what worst case scenario am I thinking of? And let me just go ahead and play that out and still know that God has it because then that will then change my feelings, which will then change my behavior. And lastly, um, figuring out do I need to disarm or demote? Um, I, I hope that these things have been some really practical ways because the truth of God is so good. Um, but we need the Holy Spirit to show us what that truth means to us. Invite him to search you so you can know how you feel and why you feel so you can demote, disarm, do whatever you need to do so that you can truly, truly change your mind. And then everything else will follow. So if you've enjoyed it, again, share with a friend or like, share, subscribe, all the good stuff. And um, until next time. <laughs>